Welcome to Coast to Coast, an NBA podcast by the fans, for the fans. My name is Chris, and hosting with me is my guy, Ronan. Tune in every week as we dive into the hottest content and emerging rumors across the league. Dodgers pulls up, three-pointer, bang, bang, it's good, Dodgers wins the game at the buzzer. Don't miss a beat, whether it's a star on the move or the Knicks acquiring another forward, we got you covered. Zion for four, for four, welcome to the NBA. The game is constantly evolving, and whether it's by the eye test or advanced stats, we'll give you the analysis you need to take your fandom to the next level. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! Sit back and relax. Coast to Coast starts now. been a minute it's been a hot second and i'm excited to see a friendly face over there ronan how you doing my man good to see you uh you too you too uh it's been it's been a while but uh we're 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 right in deep in the nba finals and it's setting up to go uh to go the full distance seven games it's looking good two two or four games in and it's uh it's been a back and forth uh, uh fight so far we did say it was going to go to game seven so i'm, I'm glad one of our predictions is coming true but to see how this series has gone on um we haven't had a chance to talk on it on the air but just uh talking about it back and forth and just reading the notes it's been it's been a fascinating development about how over the course of four games the dynamics have definitely changed and you know we we haven't had the chance to to see and, and discuss the greatness that we're seeing out of Devin Booker and and seeing Giannis in the biggest stage Chris Paul finally has a chance to be here um but let's let's just dive right into it because it, it's been an exciting couple of weeks, and uh, what better place to start, as you love to say, than Pat Connaughton being a plus twenty one <laughs> in Game Four? He's just that guy. I, I see so many people hating on him because he's just that that you know boring role player, doesn't do anything flashy, always seems to be getting the assignment of Booker. But guess what? This guy played insanely good defense on Booker without fouling. He hit the big shots when it mattered. And his overall, he's a plus 21. He's one of the biggest reasons why the Bucs clinched game four out of a game that had so many highlights, so many big players. Pat Connaughton, I think, was – was. I got to give him first and foremost shout-out for being for being a guy on a team that they don't have much else outside of Middleton and Giannis on the offensive end of the floor. And, and for him to be stringing together solid performances like this, uh, maybe it's a weird place to start, but he really stood out to me last game for sure. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And he, he's that kind of guy that you only really notice in the biggest moments. And he's stepping up for for the books in the in the biggest uh, the biggest moment they've had as a franchise since the the seventies. So uh, it it's great for him, and it's great for the team. They always believed in him. He's he's been with them for for a while now, and he's a guy that you can rely on. You're seeing the same with the likes of Cam Johnson and Campaign on the Suns. He's a guy that you just love to have in your team because you know he's going to give an honest performance. At the end of the day, he might not be your fucking superstar. He's going to drop you 30 points, but he's going to give you an honest performance. And when push comes to shove, when you need him to make a shot, you can back him. You can be confident that he can make that shot for you. And that's 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 all you need from a guy guy on the level of Pat Connaughton. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the game at large here because it's honestly surprised me the last two games – 
how the Bucks have managed to win these these uh, these games despite having really poor half court offense. You saw just how dominant the Suns defense was against them in the first two games, and how I mean they they just maybe it's at home cooking, right? You don't there's not a series until someone loses at home, and maybe that's what it is. But it shocked me that if you look at the Bucks half court numbers. They're scoring 0.93 points per possession. And just to put that in perspective, that's a full 0.9 points less than they did the regular season. And just for the numbers, that's basically like scoring a full almost 10 points less per game. But their transition is insane right now against the Suns team who's supposed to be. They were the best at um, preventing transition points all season long. They're sc- the Bucks are scoring 1.5 points per uh, transition chance. And that's that's almost half a point better than they're getting anything in the half court. I mean, look at what happened last game. 17 Suns turnovers turned into 24 points. Milwaukee only copped up the, the ball five times, turned into five points. And it's becoming a huge issue for a guy who we did not think was going to be copping up the ball much. Chris Paul struggling yeah. in that department. And that's become a huge factor in why the Bucks are allowed to be successful. And it's it's just these weird ways. I mean, you, how many points I can count that the Bucks just have broken broken possessions, but they've been rebounding the hell out of it on the offensive end. And they're just managing to get points out of broken plays and a bad half court offense. And this is going to be one of the wonkier ways to win a championship series if they're playing this inefficiently. Yeah, it's 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 a really weird dynamic. And now, of course, we're getting the calls. It's, it's, it's time for the, uh, for the Suns to start worrying about Chris Paul. But that was the same after Devin Booker had that 10-point game in game three. He bounced mm-hmm. back in, in a big way. Middleton uh, really struggled in, uh, I think, get both games one and two, really. And now look at, look at his performance in game four. The way these teams go, they don't have their, their MJ, their Kobe, their LeBron. These guys are going to have moments where they're going to look like average players, but they're going to be they're more than capable of bouncing back and performing at the elite level that got them to this stage. It might not be as consistency as, as, as we're used to seeing from guys in the finals, but I'm not worried about Chris Paul. I think the biggest not. thing is, no, I'm not worried about Chris Paul. It's, it's, the, the home advantage is a huge thing in this thing. I never really like to look at it in that too big a way, but like the way I'm looking at it right this moment, I'm thinking – the home team is going to win every game and the Suns are going to be able to outlast them. That's, I think that's the way it's going to go. And home advantage is going to come up huge for the Suns in the NBA finals. Regardless, whoever is going to win game five here, I I think wins the series. If if I agree with you, if the Suns win it, I I feel pretty confident that they're going to win at home again in game seven. And I feel the same about the Bucs. I mean, the Bucs have lost, what is it? They've lost once. They lost once in the postseason here at home. Um, but I am worried about Chris Paul. I, I, I am worried about him because look, look at what the Bucks have been doing to him. P.J. Tucker, you know, he, he wasn't cutting it against Chris Paul. Sorry, you throw Drew Holiday on him, and then you switch P.J. Tucker onto him. I mean, that those two guys are just vicious physical defenders, and they're forcing him to his left every single time. They know he's injured. They know that they're going to get a better advantage, force him to the left, and – even when Chris Paul has had a chance to get the switch, the Bucs are playing small now. You're getting switched on to by Giannis. And what happened in the fourth quarter? You got a block. You got two steals out of possessions just like that, where Giannis is switching on to Chris Paul. And for the Bucs to be playing that well in transition and to be 
rebounded. Look, look at this this offensive rebounding total. The Bucks through four through the last two games, fifty-seven offensive rebounds to Phoenix is twenty-eight. Like that. All these, all these broken plays. I mean, they're they're not so broken when you get Middleton just waiting on the outside, shooting the way he is. Which, by the way, man, like we Middleton himself likes to stay low key. He said it, but he's playing himself into conversation. You know, maybe he's if he keeps playing like this and Aiden keeps playing good defense on on Giannis. It, it almost feels right now that the way the last game played out, that Middleton's the only thing keeping this Bucks team alive at times. If they if they win. You know, he, he feels almost like the way he's performing, almost like the finals MVP. Yeah, I think it, it, it'll be a tough call if the books go all the way between Middleton and Giannis. I do think Giannis will still get it regardless. Uh, it would be totally deserved either way. I mean, you look at the, the, the couple of 40-point games after not knowing if he was even going to, for a moment, we didn't even know for sure if he was going to be able to, to suit up for these finals. And then he becomes the second player after Shaq to have back-to-back 40-plus uh, point, 10-plus rebound games Insane. in the finals. And he, he was he was just – he was awesome. And the, a big thing as well, I think it was game three that he went 13-17 to 17 from the free throw line. A big, big issue for him. And when he's able to – Helps when people aren't counting the 20. Yeah. And when he was able to do anything close to that, that's that's <laughs> that's a huge bonus for, for Giannis and for the Bucks. I, I'm just loving what I'm seeing out of Giannis. And you look at it when obviously Middleton took over for the majority of the scoring. But the main thing I'm going to remember from game four is that Giannis block on Aiton. I think uh, most people will probably be in a similar sort of position. That block was just, it, it was it was unbelievable. I don't think I can quite quite say it was better than LeBron on, on, uh, on Iguodala. But it, it, <laughs> All it, right, it, I, I it was take definitely it memorable. I got to take it back. I mean, I, I can't remember the last time, like nearly, I nearly fell out of my chair, man. That was, that was an insane, insane block. It was a little bit off by Booker. Um, I mean, Booker's had a few loose passes in this last couple of games. Um, but I mean, Aiton had it at the apex. I mean, call it a bad pass or not. Like who else in the league is blocking that? Like DeAndre Aiton, one of the biggest guys in the league, had it at the very peak and Giannis was able to get a couple fingers on it. And that was, that was while backtracking. I mean, wasn't just an incredibly like picturesque moment for one of the greatest athletes I've ever seen on the floor. I mean, Giannis, we call him the Greek freak for a reason. That was one of the craziest athletic plays I've ever seen in my life. Oh man, it was, it it was, it was so, so impressive. And I mean, I don't. I, I said from the start with this series, my, my heart was kind of with with Phoenix, but in my head I was thinking the books. This is the books year. Everything they've gone through, getting past Brooklyn, obviously with the injuries, but still, just getting past Brooklyn was such a big thing. And the the kind of period they've been going through, being almost there and not quite there, and now they've got here, and I think they're just going to be able to to take their chance. But like I said before, it's it's the home advantage. It's working for both teams in a huge, huge way. So it's going to take something ginormous for either of these teams to be able to to pick up a road win. One guy that I do want to talk about, though, is, is Drew Holiday. Mm-hmm. Some of the weirdest play I've seen out of his game. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's just him or it's the coaching, but... The difference between game two and game three, game three was probably the only decent shooting game that Drew Holiday actually had. 
where he had the, the, the 21 points and the fairly efficient numbers. But in game two, it was like, okay, Drew, go out there and score the basketball, but we're not going to design any plays for you. You're just going to have to get the shots up and make sure that they go in. That was the way, what I was watching that game, that was what it looked like. The amount of contested shots, the amount of terrible shots that he was putting up, and uh, the, the numbers showed it. He, he was absolutely appalling. <laughs> and then you look at game three. He started getting a lot of open looks. He started. They started to, to set screens for him. They started to make plays for him, and he was able to score the basketball. If they want to get the best out of Drew Holiday, they can't just throw him out there and say, yeah, go and do it. Ain't going to be like Kobe or MJ or anything. Oh, yeah, go on out there. You just <laughs> score the basketball. That's all we need. No, no, you're going to have to design plays for him if you want him to score the basketball. It worked in game three. Obviously, he was uh, ice cold again in uh, in uh, game four, but uh, he did come up with, with seven boards and seven assists and uh, a treble of steals now. So he, he, he is showing his value, but they got to be a bit smarter if they're gonna if they're gonna be relying on him to 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 deliver on offense. Yeah, I mean the Suns are gonna keep, and this is the biggest issue on the floor. It's the fact that Drew Holiday, I, and I got to start off by just saying that you know once again, I mean the defense he's playing on Devin Booker and Chris Paul is is unbelievable. I mean he's making it very difficult for either of them to score the ball. I mean obviously Devin Booker is gonna get his own. The way he was scoring the basketball, that was just. You know, you said you said that neither of these teams have a Kobe or, or LeBron. I mean, that that's as close as you get to looking like Kobe. Nobody could guard him no matter what. And I, you don't you don't see that every day. You you, you see performances like that out of the best players in the league. That that felt like a Kevin Durant performance. That felt like a Kyrie Irving performance. And Devin Booker is capable of that. Um, but Drew Holiday's definitely given him hell, given Chris Paul hell. But I, I think that they're just going to keep going under screens. They're going to keep giving him space as a shooter. And it's really mucking things up for them. And that's why they're being so inefficient in the half court. Um, I mean, Phoenix right now is a way better shooting team. They're shooting 55% to Milwaukee's 47% effective field goal percentage on shots outside of 10 feet. Now the Bucks undoubtedly are dominating them inside, but that's Devin Booker getting easy shots. That's Cam Johnson getting easy shots. That's DeAndre Ayton getting easy shots. It feels like there's no easy shots for the Bucs. I mean, everything is so difficult right now for them to score. They need to be getting offensive rebounds because, I mean, nothing's coming easy for them. And Drew Holiday needs to be able to, I mean, just create a shot off the dribble. He, I, I can't remember the last time that he's created a shot off the dribble, especially in the pick and roll, except for, like you said, and he had a couple of them in, in game three. Yeah. Um, but it just went right back to the same ball. They'd sag off him, giving him like 10 feet of space, and he just won't shoot the ball. So I'd, I guess you don't want to live and die by a true holiday, but you can't live and die by Pat Connaughton and, and Bryn Forbes, Bobby Portis being your outside shooters. They, they really got to get it going there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's gonna, it could prove to be a problem, but at the same time, He's having these issues, and and it's still uh, we're still uh, level pegging in, in the series. So it, it's kind of uh, it's obviously not going to be too big of a concern. But if uh, if Kobe really wants to show his his top level of coaching, he will be analyzing that, and he'll be finding a way to to just get make sure Drew Holiday is getting better shots. There's no way of him saying that to automatically make shots, but finding a way just to get him good open looks on certain plays is going to be important for them if they're, especially if they're going to 
try and, uh, and and steal a road win. I mean, you look in, in game two, it was kind of an element of the Suns kind of waited for things to happen and good things came of that while the books kind of forced it and then bad things happened. But on the same side, in game three and game four, the books were still trying to make those hustle plays and trying to kind of force the game a bit. And it just worked on their home floor in a way that it wasn't working in, in Phoenix, almost as if they were like, we're going to go and play this style no matter what happens and treat these first two games of Phoenix almost as kind of feelers because we know we're going to be able to do it on our home floor. And now it's just a question, can they keep this role going, head back out to Phoenix? Do, do you feel like they've played with less intensity? Because they've definitely played with hustle for sure, but like less intensity. I feel like... You know, the way they get into their sets, um, I mean, they've definitely been staunch on the defensive end, but the way they've been getting into their sets, the way they've been starting off these games, it's just felt slow. Like, they're, they're easing their way into it. Like you said, they're, they're feeling it out. Um, they haven't really come out, like, like guns blazing, especially game three at home. Game four at home, two must-win games. It, they, they were getting down early, working their way back up in the second quarter. And, you know, that, that's just absolutely something they can't do when Phoenix, not at all. I, it feels like they, they have not been able to get quick starts and trying to feed Drew Holiday early. I don't think that that's not going to be the way you're going to get it done. So maybe you just leave Drew Holiday by the wayside, let him try and score on the bench unit because trying to get him going early at the expense of losing an early lead. If Chris Paul figures it out and Devin Booker starts to get hot early on, I mean, that's not going to be something you survive from. Let me look at what happened to the Lakers and, and, uh, in, in that last in the first uh, series against Phoenix yeah I mean that that's true but at the same time the Suns are having their struggles as well I mean look at look at game four there Devin Booker put up 42 points the rest of the starters combined had 38 yeah yeah that's 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 a the, big that's a big big uh problem if that's the way it's going to continue, if Chris Paul can't find his, his touch, if, if Aiton can't get scoring inside, like Devin Booker, as good as he is, I don't think he's going to be able to keep on putting up 40 points every night. And it didn't even uh, bring a win in uh, in game four. But if they're going to be relying on Booker to put up these sort of numbers and he ain't going to be getting any help, it, it's going to it's gonna be really favoring uh, uh, Milwaukee. Listen, this isn't going to be a popular take at all, but... Booker, that was, like I said, it was an unreal performance, 42 points, two assists. Is his normal role, you know, the way he was coming off, off the pistol actions, coming off double screens. I mean, he was just, he was coming off of screens, like with five feet of space where he was getting around. I mean, he was working hard to, to be a good off-ball scorer and on-ball scoring. He was doing excellent, but he needs to facilitate more. He needs to get his guys involved because, I mean, DA and Bridges, they only combined for two shot attempts in the second half last game. Bridges only shot four times total in game three and game four. And it, I, I think that Bridges, you know, he's not the guy necessarily that you need to get going. I mean, he's, I think he's an excellent, I think he's a future all-star. I think he's, I think he's that good. Um, but he's very, his performances are very indicative of how well the Suns are passing, how good they're getting their corner threes. And on average, he was getting 10 shots a game in the Suns, 14 wins. And that, to me, I think that's a little more reflective of how well CP3 has started off these um, these sets and gotten the open shots and really gotten everything going 
So CP3 is not playing well. If he's not able to facilitate, he's not able to galvanize these types of possessions. It has to be Booker. I mean, it can Booker switch up his game like that and become a, a, I mean, he is a good primary facilitator at times, but can he do that down the stretch in the clutch? Cause we know we can shoot like that. We know he can hit those contested shots, but you know, it might even be easier for him instead of hitting contested fadeaways. If he's able to draw the double, he's able to get these mismatches and kick it out to the, the corner and get better shots for his teammates. I think if he's scoring 36 points and getting five, seven, eight assists instead of those 42 points, I mean, I think that gets a little bit more impact in terms of how his team is playing because the passing is just not fluid without Chris Paul being the floor general that he is. Yeah, absolutely. And and as much as Chris Paul has kind of been the difference maker for Phoenix this year, uh, Devin Booker is still still the star guy. He's still the guy that everyone believes is the man in Phoenix. And he's got to be able to step up. I mean, I think there was an element in game four where he was like, okay, CP3 ain't really doing it. No one else really helped me. I kind of have to do this all by myself. And ultimately, obviously, he had a great night himself, but it didn't it didn't benefit the team. And then you look back at game two, they got Bridges going early. He was aggressive. He finished with 27 points, and they yeah. had a, a fairly a fairly comfortable win in game two. Yeah. If they can get him going, if Booker can can suck in the double team and find the kick out pass, that's gonna provide a lot of big scoring for that team. And Booker's just gotta show some maturity, maturity beyond his years. You, you have to say this is his first ever playoffs. Let's remember that. But mm-hmm. if he we can find, to talk about that, yeah. if he can find a way to to show a bit of maturity, if CP3 can kind of get in his ear and talk to him uh, and Monty Williams as well, and if he's able to just be a little bit more about the team rather than I'm the guy that has to do this, I think the Suns still have a great chance of, of winning this series. I agree with you because, you know, when it comes down to it, the Suns can fix things unless unless what I'm scared of, if I'm a Suns fan, is that Chris Paul is legitimately hurt. Mm. If it's just a defensive pressure, if it's an off game, um, you know, if he makes a bounce back, they should be fine. But if he's legitimately hurt, then then it's going to take a huge switch up in terms of play style because, you know, they, if I, I just don't think that – Devin Booker is going to be able to switch like that and just become that, that go-to facilitator. You know, he, he can do it, but if, if he's going to have to do that all game long, if Chris Paul continues to play like he is, um, I mean, Chris Paul couldn't even, couldn't even do like a normal pick and roll pass. He couldn't even do a pocket pass. He couldn't even get the ball into the post. It's, it felt, it felt so weird to the point where I'm like, there's no way that this is just the yips or anything like that. Like he's injured if he can't even make a pass like that. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that the fact that all this th- flows through Chris Paul, um, I'm a little, I'm a little bit less positive about the fact that they could turn things around that they can get back to how they were passing the ball in those first two games. Yeah, I think that's a, a fair, fair, a very fair concern. I, I, I would be worried about Chris Paul as well. It would just be such a shame. This is finally his moment. And I mean, losing is one thing, but if he's been playing injured through the series so far and maybe even be forced to, to, to not be able to suit up for the final couple of games, that would just be 
Ariel Killer. You want to see an, an honest performance out of uh, out of CP3 when he finally gets to this moment. It, it would really be heartbreaking if, if injury... Maybe we'll find out after the series is over that he was injured. And it would just be a real killer if they had the Blues and then we know that CP3 wasn't able to play his best basketball and what's likely going to be his only shot at an NBA championship. Yeah. It would be real disappointing. So hopefully... Hopefully you're wrong and I'm right. Just a bit, of, <laughs> just a bit of the defense, and, it, and it, he's gonna get it back in uh, in in game five in Phoenix. I mean, people are talking about is Chris Paul's legacy at stake. It's it's kind of a crazy, crazy way to put it because he's finally made it to the finals. He's finally done something that people have questioned if he'd even get to the stage. I mean, he's at the apex of what seems to be a crazy final chapter in what's been an illustrious Hall of Fame career. Um, another interesting thing I, I haven't really thought of to this point, but look at how people are talking about free agency for a lot of teams. You know, every, everyone is looking for the Chris Paul archetype right now because they're so to see how the Suns have unlocked the potential of their team through a guy like Chris Paul, and then for him to be at this moment and not be able to play, right? It sucks, and you know it's, it's going to be a, another blemish in his career. And you start to think about those those moments like that game five against the Thunder when he was in LA, that fateful turnover in the last 20 seconds and they blow a seven point lead. And then the next year, blown a 19 point lead to the Rockets when they're up three, one, you know, if you start to remember stuff like that, you, you, you lose the, the rosiness of this uh, 2021 comeback season, but it's just always been that injury book for him, man. Like he can't catch a break in the playoffs. Um, but I don't, I don't want to harp too much on it. I, I think that, you know, that it's anyone who's saying that this is going to affect his legacy as a whole. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, he's done enough this season alone to, to bring this team to where they're at. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, you know, how, how can Aiton, how can he get more involved? Because, you know, Bridges for, is, is one thing. You know, you, you want Bridges as a, as a star role player to get involved. But Aiton's been having a fantastic postseason, albeit much of it's been assisted by Chris Paul, again, another another thing there. But, I mean, Aiton has to find a way to unlock just another level. He's been doing it all postseason. I don't think it's impossible to expect that of him. But, you know, you want to see him do something, you know, do something a little bit more in the post than he's been doing in the past couple of games. Yeah, I mean, even that, obviously it was game three where he was, the, I think, still the second top scorer for, for – uh, the Suns, he just got into foul trouble early in the third, and that kind of uh, kind of put him out for the game. But for the most part, he, he's been effective in this series so far. Obviously, game four was a struggle. I think he only ended up with six points. And as we were already talking about, it, it comes from CP3. Is there a way that if CP3 actually is hurt, is there a way for Booker to kind of work around in those sort of plays that, that, that Paul and Aiton have been working or even uh, even campaign, can can they do it to a, even a, a close level to what uh, Aiton and, and CP3 have been as a combo because let's be honest, he's not like, if he's not the big guy, he's got to get his own shot really. He, it's got to be plays made uh, by by other guys where you're going to get to see the best out of Aiton and you just hope that they can figure out a way to make those plays happen if it's not through CP, CP3. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with it. And I, I think 
it would be a, a risky way to look at it, but I, I feel like there's there's untapped potential there. There's untapped inside out play that you haven't seen a whole lot of with Aiton that he has done throughout the season here and there. Obviously, it's it's less efficient offense than than Chris Paul running the point. But but again, I mean, I'm looking at this through the prism of you know what what if Chris Paul is 50% right now? If you're getting 50% Chris Paul, is it worth you know? you're not hunting for mismatches for Chris Paul right now. I mean, because that's what the Suns have been getting a lot of their offense from throughout the, the postseason. You find the mismatch for Devin Booker, you find the mismatch for Chris Paul, you run those sets that get you that mismatch, and then your offense flows from there. If that mismatch isn't really working with Chris Paul, what, who's, your, who's your next guy up who can, who can do that? I mean, DeAndre Ayton has definitely the opportunity to be scoring in the, in the mid post. I, I, I think they haven't exploited that enough. Um, and I think if you're thinking about Chris Paul not being as efficient, that's that's an option that you know might surprise the Bucks. I mean, they give up they give up a lot of threes, but they're really not letting it happen in the paint. And if DeAndre Aiden can find a way to do that, maybe that's that's the uh, that's the icing on the cake for what has has still been. You know, I won't take it away from him. It's still been one of the most impressive uh, playoff performances this year. Because I mean, I was just thinking about it yesterday. This is not the same guy I looked at in January. This is a completely different guy that I looked at last season. But it's, it's still just amazing to me seeing him stifle Giannis. I mean, Giannis had 30, 30 points for sure. But when Aiton's on the floor, that, that's a tough 30 point. He's not shooting as efficiently as he usually does. And Aiton just needs to, to find another level there on the other side of the floor. Yeah, 100%. And I think we've seen it in, mo- in moments throughout the playoffs and even this series where he's got some work in the post and, he, and he's taken even some jump shots and he, he, it's been effective. So I think even, like you were saying earlier about how the books have been fairly slow starters in most of the games, even if they tried to to work a few post plays for Aiden early in, in, in game five and see if they can get him going, because that could prove a ginormous difference maker to Phoenix. And if they can get him going like that, that's huge. If they can get 10 to 15 points out of Aiden, because you know you're going to get 10 to 15 boards out of him. If you can uh, bump that up with 10 to 15 points, that's a huge different ma- difference maker for Phoenix. Absolutely. I, I want to I say that I, I feel pretty confident in Giannis at this point. If we're, if we're closing up here talking about the, our predictions, but I, the, the more I talk about it, the more I'm talking myself into, you know, I think the Suns are ultimately going to have a lot to figure out if Chris Paul is not healthy. And I think the, the Bucks are just beginning to figure it out. Uh, what's insane to me though, as, as we talk about, you know, maybe we can get eight going with, with some mismatches, you know, the one thing that Bucks have still just not done this entire series is really hunt those mismatches. Why is campaign on the floor with the honest there and, but, and coach bud, who's just apparently, I mean, I'll, I'll give him absolute credit. He's, he's coached so much better this, this, uh, this postseason than he did last. And, but I just don't understand how, how there's no there's no sets to get Giannis a mismatch on a guy like Campaign. I mean, even Cam Johnson. I mean, to get Giannis on anybody who is not DeAndre Ayton, and that feels like pretty much the easiest efficient offense you can get him. I mean, just, just to see Giannis just careening into three defenders down low, I mean, it's just obvious why he's not necessarily shooting as efficiently as he as he could be. And, I mean, just something as easy as that, if, if they can incorporate that, that feels to me even like the – that, that spells death for them if they can figure out how to get mismatches. Yeah, 100%. And you think that's a fairly 
easy thing when you're a coach and you're coaching a guy as talented as Giannis and the fact that he has so many options of mismatches really everyone almost outside of of Aiton is a mismatch for uh for Giannis so yeah it, it absolutely I'd agree but for the moment all things on the floor I'm still thinking it's going to be home wins throughout and the Suns are just going to find a way to edge it I, I'm I'm there with you. I'm I'm not I'm not super convinced of myself either. But I, if, if we're if we're locking in our predictions here, I, I think this, I think Bucks and six, man. I think Bucks and six. Okay, okay. I'll go Suns going the distance, and you go Bucks and six, and we'll see what happens. It's gonna be a lot. Of, it's gonna be a, a lot of fun. There's been some interesting games. Even some of the lack of quality has almost made it interesting in stages, but. Still a lot of talent on the floor, a lot of basketball still to be played, and we are going to enjoy watching it. But we got to talk some NBA eh, bullshit. NBA lies. Whatever, NBA you, bullshit. whatever you want to call it. And we'll be talking about that right after this break. Yeah, you. You listened this far, whether you fell asleep, left your phone in the room, or maybe you liked what you heard. So please don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you can get our content every week. In the Christmas spirit, we are doing a special giveaway for our day one listeners, and all you have to do is be subscribed to the pod, follow us on Twitter at CoastNBA, and Instagram at Coast to Coast NBA Podcast for a chance to win. Now, back to the pod. Play a little NBA's believe it or not. Damian Lillard is supposedly supposed to be coming out with trade demands. The ever loyal Damian Lillard. I call I I did not believe that for one second. Not one second. I have to believe it. <laughs> I've had enough, man. I've had enough of ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous New York Knicks trade ideas, <laughs> free agency rumors. I've said it before. You guys are sick in the head. It's all self-inflicted. You know, I'm starting to not feel bad for you guys anymore. <laughs> Damian Lillard, number one, is not going to New York Knicks. And he's not demanding to be traded to the New York Knicks. And six minutes ago, six minutes before you recorded, rather, Damian Lillard himself at USA basketball practice to the media said they are not true. And I'll just say this. You know, when a lot of NBA players say, oh, no, that, that's not true or blah, blah, blah. You know, I always take it with a grain of salt. Because, you know, it's business. You can't show your hand, anything like that. But Damian Lillard has built up a reputation for being a straight shooter. He's built up his reputation almost on being a loyal guy. He's constantly talking about it every single year. So, I mean, this would be such an absurd, bold-faced lie and just complete abandonment of his character 
if he just told the media, I'm not going to request a trade, and then it happens. I, I don't know. I, I think it, this is all smoke, and I don't know where it's coming from, but whoever started this fire or this this smoke screen, it's it's kind of insane. It's gotten out of control. It's too much. Absolutely. I think, uh, obviously, uh, his pal uh, Nurkic uh, said, said complete bullshit. <laughs> he called bullshit on it. I think, obviously, Dame himself called bullshit on it. But the biggest thing I see when I when I saw that comment about him denying the claims was just the fact that he just denied that he was going to request a trade in the next few days. He also <laughs> he also made it clear that he did he, he has made, he's made no decision on his future. I mean, his future is signed. The he problem hasn't even started yeah, as like, supermax the, yet. The problem is that that uh, like Portland holds all the cards here, really. I mean, he's not a free agent until well, I think it's twenty twenty four. Yeah, I think there, there's rumors even that that uh, their owner is looking to sell as well. So I don't think uh, the, I don't think uh, trading Damian Lillard is going to be a, a good sign if you're trying oh, to yeah. sell the franchise. You know? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's actually that's a huge point as well. Um, I mean, front office brass is definitely going to not be pushing to selling your your one your one thing on your team that's worth anything right now. But, I mean, the, these Damian Lillard trades have been crazy. I mean, I've, I've loved all the ideas. The only one that I really liked was the uh, was the the Warriors one. That, that was interesting to me. Yeah, that'd be so um, cool. I'd hate it, but, but I'd love it too. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, for this team to keep getting all these trade rumors, I mean, it's, it's going to happen every single year because, you know, they're not going to make it to the finals the way things are constructed in the West. Um and maybe it's not this year, but who's to say next year? I mean, clearly things are trending in the direction where the Blazers need to ramp things up. And we'll see how things go in this this uh, uh, free agency period. They don't have a whole lot of cards to work with, but something clearly needs to happen in, in a major way. You know, coaching change, that's great. But what are the Portland Trailblazers going to do to keep Damien around long-term? Because it's, it's clear that, you know, he's he's – He's saying he's not requesting a trade. You're right. And he's not made a decision on his future. I mean, that, that's kind of a long-term view. And that has to be the most indirect way of saying, you know, I, I haven't decided to leave yet, but if you guys don't figure this out, then I will make that decision. And they might hold the cards, but look at how the league has worked the past decade, man. We've talked about it ad nauseum. The players always will hold the cards. You know, I would be shocked if Damian Lillard decided to hold out or anything like that, but you know, that would just be yet again, just the, the players empowerment movement and to a degree, you know, I mean, he, he deserves to play in a good team. He deserves to be having the chance to be in the finals. He deserves to be chasing the ring. Yeah. 100%. I mean, this is a, this is the Dame time. He's, he's 31 now. This is Dame time in terms of his career not so much yeah. just clutch moments anymore. And unfortunately I, I love for him to stay in Portland, but the problem is, I just can't see how Portland can make the improvements they need to make to make this a competitive team. I don't see how, I just don't see where, what, what way they can really do it to really bump it up that much more than, than what it is now. I, I, don't, I just don't think they have, they don't have the assets. They don't have the, the, the cap space to, to make it a, a real big move that can really transition this team from, a perennial playoff team into a, a legitimate contender, which is yeah. why, it, which is why I think Dame is kind of thinking 
this might in my, my time I might I might have to go just because I think he would love to stay if he could, but I think he knows he's got to give himself the best opportunity to to win a championship. Yeah, man, it's gonna be it's gonna be a sad way to see it go because it's it's been awesome to to see him elevate Portland and, and really put them on the map. But um, you know, we gotta talk about another trade that I do actually believe. Oh yeah. And I think this is the right decision. I think the Cavs are absolutely in their right mind to be moving a guy like Colin Sexton, who's completely revamped his trade value, has looked like a future all-star. And, you know, a lot of people might argue that this is going to be the apex of his value. And I'm not sure where he's going to move. A lot of people are floating some very interesting trade ideas. I mean, things like pairing him up with Zion Williamson, setting him off to the Knicks. Um, I I don't know. I, I really, truly do not understand why New York consistently thinks that Kevin Knox is worth anything outside of a bag of dirty laundry. Because this, I've, I see his name put in like the most absurd trades for guys like they used to be put in trade talks for Bradley Beal, put him in trade talks for Colin Sexton. I mean, that's, you're going to have to give a whole lot more than that for Colin Sexton. But I mean, I think he would be perfect, perfect in New York, especially with that, that mentality that Tom Thibodeau brings. I mean, he's just got that perfect, fiery, competitive nature that, you know, him and Julius Randle, that would be a really interesting combination. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I, I saw instantly when I saw that the, the Cavs are kind of open to trade in sex and then seeing Nick's kind of the most aggressive suitor, they've been kind of the ones asking, asking kind of all off season so far for them about it. And it just makes sense. He, he brings what we desperately need, which is a guard of starter level that can actually produce on the offensive end. We, like Derek we, Rose. We, 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 yeah, like Derek Rose, obviously, but come <laughs> on. He's not, he's not the starter anymore. He's the, he's the king off the bench, but. That's, who, that's who you had to start in the playoffs when it really mattered. Exactly. And, just, and, look, and look what happened to him. It, it was a big struggle for him and, and he was gassed come, come game five. It, it, or, no, yeah, yeah, around game four, game five, you could see D Rose was absolutely gas. But if we can bring Colin Sexton, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of this guy. Obviously, his size, his defense is questionable, but this guy can score the basketball. This guy can produce on offense, and he can be, he could be a huge difference maker to this New York team. What I'm seeing is that that they were interested in drafting him originally, and they were going to take him. Uh, they they worked him out and all back in 2018, and then uh, the Cavs just were were ahead of them, and they ultimately selected him. So I'm kind of I'm hoping that this isn't just the Knicks being stupid and they're saying right we wanted this guy before we'll go get him now. I'm hoping that Coach Tibbs is on board, and he can he sees a a place for for Colin Sexton within the Knicks team that he is trying to build. Because if you're not part of his plans, there's no point in in bringing him to to New York. I'm going to tell you something right now. Tom Thibodeau, you know him as the defensive guru. And the thing that he's known for in Chicago as well is the guru of small point guards. If you, if you look at your CJ Watsons, if you look at your Nate Robinsons and, and every, you, I, I can name three other guards that no one would even know that he would just get the most out of these guys. I don't, I don't know what it was. I don't know what he was putting in their water, D-Rose. but, but <laughs> I, I would, I would account, I would count him on that, but, <laughs> but I, I would love to see that just because I think he matches that, that intensity that 
Thibodeau demands from his players. Um, and defensively, I mean, he his fundamentals have become exceedingly better. I mean, he's he's much more sound um, on on ball defense. You know, he's, he still has a little bit of work off the ball, staying engaged there. But you know, when he's engaged on ball, I, I think you know he's he's the type of player that makes Tom Thibodeau happy with his energy for sure. Um, but I, I'm I'm curious for, for the Cavs though. So I mean, the whole question about I honestly thought that this draft is going to hinge on how much they believe in, in Sexland. And I think this clearly demonstrates that they're willing to pair Garland with another one of these premier players. Yeah. And I'm curious how aggressive they might be to get a guy like Jalen Green. Houston keeps putting it out there that it, the smoke keeps coming out that Houston really, really likes Jalen Green, obviously sitting there at two. And I'm really curious now, is, are the Cavs willing to, to trade future assets? Are they willing to trade current young assets for that second pick? Because I don't think a Jalen Suggs, Jalen Suggs and a Darius Garland fits. It's not exactly what you dream of when you get rid of a guy like Sexton. I think, you know, you risk breaking up this backcourt for a guy like Jalen Green. Yeah, I think that's, 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 I'd be of the same uh, in the same frame of mind as you there. The big thing as well, though, that the the big talk as well that the Rockets are being fairly aggressive and trying to to make a deal to to jump up to number one. That's really interesting to me. I, I don't understand that. So what does that mean to you? Ah, uh, it, it's it's a weird one. I I kind of feel like the Pistons are just kind of playing with teams. I think mm-hmm. yeah. they're perfectly happy. <laughs> They know they're they're going number one. I think they're just kind of playing just just to see if any team is kind of crazy enough to to make them yeah. a really outstanding offer. I guarantee you, they have a laundry list of excellent deals, and they're just keeping it quiet. You don't hear anything about any potential trades. You know, just that people are interested in the first pick. I, I said it again. It re- that's going to depend on how much they they really value Killian Hayes um, and all all the beat writers, all the people who are in Detroit media really talk about how, how Killian Hayes, I mean, that's, that's their future. That's a centerpiece. They consider him a, a centerpiece. They're going to give him every chance to be a star. And if they can squeeze something out of a team like Houston, I mean, that, that means Houston's thinking about Cade. Yeah. And I think you, another, another guy who's really praised by the local media, I'm not crazy. I, I've, I did my homework. I mean, Houston is absolutely dead set on Kevin Porter Jr. They love that guy. They are super invested in him being not just a, a role player. They they think he's a future star. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not Houston media. I, I, I didn't I'll, I didn't know you were from Houston. What? I, I just I just I listen. I pay attention. I read. <laughs> and you know, I'm not crazy. I, I'm not the only one. So, I, man, that would be that would be a crazy move there. If if they move up, and they get Cade. I don't know what other future assets they're there they would move there, but. I mean, you're right, man. The, the Pistons really have all the cards here. And I I know it's such a low percentage. I don't know what the betting odds right now are. They keep going up. I think it was, uh, they predicted 70% last week that it would be Cade for the Pistons. But I, I, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. A Detroit, a, a Detroit Pistons fan, a guy that I, I was talking to during the week, he would be, and she was saying he was kind of looking at some, some even lower down trades, and he was looking at maybe someone like 
Shea Gilgis Alexander and uh, OKC's pick for for the number one, and he was thinking that'll be something he he mm-hmm. he he'd be a lot more interested in than than some of the deals with with teams kind of closer to them, the likes of uh, Cleveland and Houston. That's hmm. so you're talking Pistons, Pistons trading their number one pick for Shea Gilgis Alexander. And the what is the the seventh pick? Yeah, it's a six, six or seven. Yeah, I think seventh pick. Uh, or no, it's it's a six pick. It's a six pick. So basically, you're getting Scott, you're getting Scotty Barnes, and you're getting Shea Gilders Alexander. That's. They truly believe I, in, I still in, don't in think... Hayes. That'll be that'll be an interesting one. Yeah, I don't know, man. I I still think that they it's the. The the more I look at tape, the more the more I I follow these these guys. I it feels like a four player draft, but to me it feels like a two a two player superstar draft. I I I really think that you know the more teams really invest in in their scouting here and really break it down. I think Jalen Green and Cade Cunningham those are the two guys to have, and I and I think a lot of teams are really convincing themselves that these are these are cornerstone players. Is, Shade is definitely a cornerstone for OKC right now, but is he going to be the level of player Jalen Green's going to be? I don't know. I can't answer that. But I think a lot of teams would say no. Yeah, yeah, that that, 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 that is fair. But we're getting off track. The biggest thing is the Cavs are trading Sexton to the Knicks. <laughs> and apparently it's going to be for Obi Toppin, Kevin Knox, and, and Kevin only Knox. and only oh one of God. our only yeah. one of our first round picks this year. If that was the deal, I would snap their hand off and take it instantly. What do you got? What are you guys picking again? Ten? No, th- no thirteen. No, 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 no. You're out of that. No, oh my gosh, crazy. I think we're you're, 19, you're picking, 19 and twenty. 19. 20 yeah, you're picking nineteen, twenty-three, or something, something like that. Apparently, that the, the the rumor that came out when when it was said that the Knicks are the most aggressive suitor, the trade was Obi Toppin, Kevin Knox, and just one of our first round picks. If that was the deal, I'm, I'd be taking it instantly. From the Cavs, am I taking that? Am I taking? Ah. Apparently, they're pretty hot on Obi. Apparently, they they wanted to they wanted to draft him. Yeah, and are they super hot on Kevin Knox as well? Who knows? All I'll say about Kevin Knox is I hope to God he just all he does in the offseason is work on his shooting, and whether it's in New York or someone else, he can become a guy that you can at least rely on to hit to hit a hit a three ball for you. And hey, remember his summer league. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that 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 had to be like one of the the summer leagues of lore. Just looking at Kevin Knox going, <laughs> I remember that that dunk down the lane he had, and everyone's like, "Oh my God, we missed out on Kevin Durant!" Like, <laughs> <laughs> just insane. But you know, we're we're gonna keep seeing all these crazy rumors. We're gonna it's gonna keep milling about. I don't know who else you're gonna talk yourself into trading for, but you know, I'm I'm here to talk you out of it. I'm I'm here to help you see some sense. And uh, you, you, you get some crazy thought in your head. You just give me a call, and I'll, I'll help you sort it out. No problem. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you're there for me. <laughs> and you know, we'll we'll close here, guys, uh, with, with uh, Team USA. Uh, looking, looking uh, a little gimpy here. You lose Brad Beal. You lose Kevin Love. You replace him with Keldon Johnson and Javale McGee for some reason. Um, and all I, all I got to say, the most important thing from these games is how the hell is Luis Scola still playing basketball? Is this guy like 50? 
I mean, the the the, the dude looked like a like a GQ model, first of all. <laughs> and I don't know how he went from from forty year old looking hippie to 007 looking. I mean, this man is chiseled. Big time. I don't, how, how does he do it? Ar- Argentina should have won on the back of Luis Gola alone. <laughs> I feel like that's just a thing in Argentina. I feel like I feel like the Argentinians age just they get better get better with age. Like what are they one. eating out there? Yeah, he, he went back to Argentina and he 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 turned into like the the hottest man in the world. It looks like he's he's benching three plates out there. I mean, he should have you should have been the MVP of that game. <laughs> well, thankfully they they haven't they haven't quite started giving out the MVPs for for each individual game, but uh, never know. It's probably going that way. I mean, yeah, Team USA. I think they're just kind of building it up there. They they know they're going in the right direction. Low, uh, losing Love and Beal, obviously that's a big blow. Yeah. I think I think they're they're. I don't think they're worried just yet. Obviously, the the opening two defeats were were a disappointment. Uh, but I think maybe it's just their talk. They're kind of just like, oh, we just need we need a time to kind of blend a bit together. Obviously, it's going to help when Booker Middleton. They're both still uh, still to join up with the team, but. Going for J- JaVale McGee and Keldon Johnson, I think uh, surely there was some better players that, that fancied a bit of a uh, ball in the Olympics. Julius Randle, I don't know, just name a couple. Trey Young was was doing, feeling 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 a bit like Isaiah Thomas anyway. <laughs> he's, man, Isaiah Thomas, he's, he's, he stays on Twitter just, just peeking out for opportunities as if it's going to happen, but... I, I hope for it, Isaiah Thomas. I hope he gets back on a on a team somewhere. I, I miss I miss watching him ball up, especially in Boston. But we are just about out of time here, and I'm excited for this next game tomorrow. We'll, we'll be talking about that next week. It's looking it's looking like we'll be probably recording for a, a game seven, and we'll we'll see what happens. It might be your sons then. Let's go. Let's just hope CP3 is back back to normal in uh, in game five. And we get the best out of the best players in the world yeah. in the NBA. The best of the best floppers. I, I can't wait to see it. <laughs> we'll break it down next time. on today's episode of coast to coast don't forget to hit us up on instagram and twitter at coast to coast nba podcast to hear your takes discussed right here on the show and remember take every shot and love every moment